On the Empire Podcast this week, everything is awesome, as Phil Lord and Chris Miller, directors of the Lego Movie and 22 Jump Street, drop by to discuss their amazing year, while Morton Tildum, director of The Imitation Game, also pops in to talk about his enigmatic films. See what I did there? All that and the usual movie news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that quite frankly doesn't see what all the fuss is about. Landing on a comet, Bruce Willis did that years ago, and he died for our sins. Easy. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Emperor Podcast. This week, I'm joined by the greatest threesome since Rita Sue and Bob too. First up is our geek queen who recently visited Bangor, Maine, Stephen King country, and brought us all back a lovely bout of Captain Trips. Isn't that <laughs> nice? Thanks a bunch, Helen O'Hara. Hey, you're welcome, Chris. I'm not sure that... <coughs> oh, God. I'm not sure that uh, what Bruce Willis landed on was a comet. I think technically that was an asteroid. It's the same thing, Helen. Uh-huh. Look it up in science books. Well, okay. I think if anyone's heard our Interstellar podcast, they know <laughs> that we all know the science already. Yes, we do. Next up is an art house guru who collects subtitled films like Pennywise a Clown Collects Souls. It's Phil DeSimlian. How are you, sir? Hi, Chris. You all right? Yeah. I'm very good, thanks very much. Thanks for you? joining us from your sewer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't live in a sewer. Sorry, I'm getting you confused with Pennywise I again. Moved out recently. Uh, last but not least is another one of those pesky Dissemblian boys. You know, you know the ones, Ellen, you know, they keep appearing in the corridors of Endeavour House, asking me to come and play with them. Oh, you, it's yeah, they're holding hands. Yeah. It's quite creepy. You can actually. see them as well. They're dressed exactly alike at all times. It's Nick Dissemblian. How are you? Chris, if you will, pedal around on a tricycle in the corridors. <laughs> <laughs> Health and safety. Yep. Hello. <laughs> that was the weirdest way I've ever said, how are you? I went, how are you? How are you? Uh, you've been sending in questions via Twitter, via email, via Facebook. Here are the two that made the cut this week. Uh, Elrington James on Twitter, at Elrington James, said, with Toy Story 4 being announced, are there any good fourth movies? And someone else asked this, and uh, apologies, I didn't catch that initial tweet, but someone else did ask this question. Mm. Are there any good part the fours now are we counting A New Hope ooh sneaky yeah, yeah. already he's in with the tricky ah. ones <laughs> so you either look at it this way the fourth Star Wars movie is either Star Wars in which case it's brilliant or it's The Phantom Menace which in which case brilliant. it's also brilliant so yeah <laughs> Well, there are, there are brilliant moments in The Phantom Menace. There was that one bit with Jewel of the Face. With the end credits. There's a bit where it begins and then it just runs until the end and everything in between is just like the best thing ever. There is a good bit with Greg awesome. Proops. Mm-hmm. There is. But, um, yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to posit another sci-fi film, Star Trek. The Voyage Home, <gasps> which is obviously the one where they, they go to San Francisco in the 80s. Yeah. Do you know what? That's, that was generally considered one of the great Star, star Treks, but there's been a bit of a backlash against that in recent years. I've, never, I've always quite liked it, actually. No, you can tell because it, it's got an even number. Well, exactly. Early, Although, uh, that's that, how you tell. That's now reversed in the, in the new oh. series. Of can Canada's. I just say, I'm totally baffled by the even-odd number theory, because I watched the Wrath of Khan followed by The Search for Spock and yeah. they both seem quite good. Well the actually The Search for Spock yeah. is the best of the odd numbers but, but the problem but, is Star Trek The Motion Picture number one is unbelievably bad. Star Trek 5 The Final Frontier is so much worse you can't even conceive of it. It does have that great bit where Scotty bangs his head on the Enterprise he goes I know that ship like the back of my hand and then he bangs his head okay, on, the, uh, yes, that's, on the thing that's good. That's it. But there's also the bit where, you know... There's the bit where he's climbing El Capitan yeah. in Yosemite. But yeah. no, that's it. Anyway, nothing else in Star Trek Five is good. Star Trek Seven disappointing. Nine, disappointing. Mm. Eleven, good. And that's where it switched, because then Twelve was, let's face it, disappointing. So it's a double anomaly Yeah. in interstellar parlance. Indeed. Mm. Friday the 13th, Part Four, 
the final chapter isn't bad. It's a liar. There's an actual code. Not really. <laughs> we were kidding. Yeah, there's, there's a final chapter and then there's a final Friday, which was proven wrong very, very quickly. The so, final chapter and then the yeah. back cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not bad. That's the one with uh, Corey Feldman, where Corey Feldman plays uh, Tommy, and he he takes he's like young kid. He's into like horror movie special mm-hmm. effects, and he takes on Jason at the end. It's also the one where Crispin Glover gets killed in a kitchen. Uh, so it's pretty pretty good as far as the thirteenth movies go. How about Fast and Furious? Something of a reboot of the franchise cleared the decks of debris, allowing us to experience the greatness of Fast Five. Huh. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, all right, fine. No. You're not convinced. Whatever. Huh. No, we all know that it got good when The Rock came along. Yeah, we do. You're a particular fan of the Step Up franchise. I am, yes. The universe. But Step Up 4, I think, was the Miami one. Revolution. Uh, yes, Revolution, um, which was a... Com- a particularly ludicrous plot, it has to be said. I mean, incredible dance numbers. Genuinely, the dance numbers in that series are better than pretty much anything since Gene Kelly. Um, But uh, the plot of that one is particularly stupid because it has them affecting social change through kind of flash mob style choreography. And that's, I mean, you know, call me a a political naive here, but that seems unlikely to me. I often do. I often do. (laughs) Rocky Four, come on! Yes, come on! Okay, Drago. Yes. absolutely. One of the best, the best training montage in a Rocky film. Oh, uh, yeah, running up the mountain. Yeah, contrasting with, with Drago, it's got, it's got the death of Apollo Creed. It's it's got everything you can want. It's got the best soundtrack. It's got James Brown. It's got Living in America. It's got the Burning Heart. It's it's got everything you could possibly want. You wanted the death of Apollo Creed. I didn't you want monster. the death of Apollo Creed. I, no, of course I don't want the death of Apollo Creed. I want Apollo Creed to live on. Perhaps I don't know his grandson in some sort of spin-off, in which oh. Rocky is his trainer. I don't know. I'm you just call a, it Creed. I'm, I'm just, you could call it Creed. It could be directed by Ryan that's crazy. Talk. Right, let's pitch it straight after this. <laughs> that is crazy. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Lethal Weapon 4 because I'm wild and crazy. You're an idiot. I like it I too. Like Lethal Come Weapon on. 4. I, I prefer do. Lethal Weapon 4 to Lethal Weapon 3. Yeah, I said it. It's got Jet Li in it. Yeah. It's got an unconvincing uh, stunt double of yeah. Mel Gibson, who's actually Asian. Yeah. Um, we have a feature uh, called. What, Mel Gibson uh, is Asian. We have no, only his stunt double. But we have a we have a feature on the website called uh, Seeing Doubles, where we uh, freeze frame shots of uh, stunt doubles from action films, and the so there's a there's a uh, Bruce Willis stunt double in Die Hard who looks exactly like Jerry Seinfeld, <laughs> and the one there's a bit at the end of Lethal Weapon Four where Mel Gibson's driving a forklift truck. If you freeze frame it, it's a Chinese man who's about twenty. It's amazing. Um, check that feature out it's hilarious especially the Eddie Murphy one in Beverly Hills Cops we need to do a sequel oh by the way Eddie Murphy was going to say was originally meant to be in Star Trek 4 they, they uh, was originally written as partially going to be a vehicle for him to you know do his comedy stylings in and then they, they just wrote him out but that's mm-hmm. that's the more that's the most comedic Star Trek entry yeah, yeah, uh, Voyage Home I would say did uh, that feature include any of the Roger Moore late Roger Moore Bond canon entries because I was watching View to a Kill and the bit on the Eiffel Tower, oh my God. he makes yeah. a leap onto we the do, elevator. We do, we do, we do. And it looks an awful lot like There's the, uh, Les Dawson. Yeah, or Bernard Manning. Or Bernard but, but, yeah, Manning. It's, he's got an extraordinary wig on, that yeah. stuntman. And he looks like he's about 70. Yeah, not even a younger stuntman. <laughs> a couple stunt of years man. older than Roger. Not even particularly nimble. Just, yeah. just someone the same age. You could do an entire uh, sub-feature on um, Feet oh, to a Kill. So yeah. good. Amazing. Um, other notable part fours, obviously, Police Academy Four, Citizens on Patrol, the last one with Steve Guttenberg. Uh, some might say the saddest Police Academy movie. Yeah. Are you supposed um, to put the emphasis on the on? Citizen, I, I did. Citizens on Patrol. Uh, that's that's terrible. <laughs> that film. Sharon Stone's in it though. Um, fourth James Bond film is Thunderball, which isn't that great. 
So mm, that doesn't, not, yeah. The fourth Carry On movie is Carry On Constable, which is also not that great, although it is the first Sid James film. Oh, Ooh, well. So, there you, you know, go. He's got so nothing there. to be said. I actually just watched uh, Carry On Sergeant the other day, and uh, and it's not. it doesn't really feel like a Carry On without Sid James. You know, no. you, he's he's the sort of he's the missing ingredient. I have never it, seen a Carry On film. Just what? Thought I, just thought I didn't know that. Not even not the Kyber. Never seen a Carry On film ever. Oh okay. well, Carry On. We're going to have to sort no. that out. <laughs> we're not doing a Carry On a thon. Um, where, where should I start? I will pick. Uh, I'm not going to. It's but not, it's like, <laughs> hypothetically, it's not like chronologically. It's not like each one feeds into the other. It's not like exactly. we Carry On so first. Yeah, exactly. So where do you um, where do you dip your? You got to start at the beginning when they were all quite serious dramas. No. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They gradually morphed into comedies. I think. Avoid all the seventies ones, uh, which are just group, you know, filled with gratuitous nudity and sex. Hang on, what am I saying? Uh, but Carry On Emmanuel is just awful. The last one, Carry On Columbus, is just one oh, of the worst so films you will ever see. Uh, I would go for like the properly good ones. Yeah. So Carry On Follow That Camel, Carry On Don't Lose Your Head, Carry On Screaming. That's also a good one. Yeah. There's there's a whole bunch of early yeah. ones that are pretty good. Up the Kyber is yeah. great. Uh, Cleopatra, I have a big soft spot for as yes, well. Yes, that's also good. Um, well, and Screaming. And where do I start with Confessions of a Window Cleaner? You, you start <laughs> and you stop there. <laughs> Just what you said is enough. Okay. Where were they up to with Universal Soldier at part four? Are they on by eight or now? No, but what yeah. was number four? Do you remember? Four was the one where they wasn't wasn't four the one where they brought back Dolph Lundgren and Jean Claude oh, Van Damme? I have no idea. And then our good podcast friend Scott Adkins yes. took over the the franchise. I think they were about. I kind six of now. stopped with that franchise after the first one. I'll be honest. The Although Scott I heard Adkins, I heard a couple of the, the sequels are good. The but. Scott Adkins one's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it went all a bit apocalypse now. Quite mm. serious and sort of impressionistic. Mm. Mm. Directed by Peter Hyam's son, those movies. Is that correct? Yeah. Dirty Dozen, The Fatal Mission. Alien Resurrection. Uh, let's move on. Uh, here's a question from Harry Stainer uh, via email. Uh, and he asks um, basically, this is a question for Interstellar Spoiler Special Podcast, which is now up. You can go and listen to it. It's got Jessica Chastain and Chris Nolan. It's all good. And he asked, I was wondering where Interstellar ranks for you in Nolan's filmography. Hmm. Oof. Well, let's Ooh. see. I'd probably put maybe The Prestige, Batman Begins would be my next. Then Is this, is this from Best to Worst? This is from Best to Worst. Then Prestige. Memento. Then Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Then Inception. Then Insomnia. Then Interstellar. All the then, aliens. Yeah. Mm. Then The Dark Knight Rises. Ooh. I haven't seen the following. Following. You haven't seen the following one? You just said following and then you stopped. I did, yes, that, that's okay. right, I did. Okay. I've seen following. Is it the did, following or following? No, it's following. Did, uh, I, did I leave any out? No. Okay. You that's did not. That was an incendiary list, Helen. I it was, you yeah. couldn't, I noticed you put Batman Begins above the other the two movies in I the did, Bat yeah. trilogy. Can I just say that my list is quite similar to Helen's list? Do it. Go on. I, I, is it the same as Helen's list? It's similar, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, yeah. My favourite of the Batman films is Batman Begins, which I know makes me some kind of like social pariah. But there you go. It doesn't. Um, I really love Memento. I think that's probably his best film for me. Okay. Um, and uh, I love The Prestige. I think those are the ones that I just mm-hmm. find the most fun. And a lot of them have had a bit of a fun deficit. <laughs> like, yeah. Humor levels in Nolan films tend to be set at 20%. Nick? Yeah. I'm going to go... Uh, is it Inception or is it The Dark Knight? It's one it's of those two. Inception. I'm going to go Inception, my favourite. I love that film so much. It's fantastic. Love the soundtrack too. It's probably my favourite soundtrack of uh, Hans Zimmer. Dark Knight, Memento. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do all of them, but I'd say... Inter- Interstellar's... 
Go on, do all of them. Do all of them? Yeah, okay. Go on. That's, mm. what the, that's what the question is. Batman Begins is my least favourite of those three films. Shut the front door. I've only seen it once, though. I need to probably watch it again. But it was my least favourite. I know you do. You do kind of you know wail in that film from time to time. You I need to see it again. I'm telling you, it's really good. Okay, I'll watch it again. Uh, so Dark Knight Rises. I'm not. I, uh, prestige. Mm-hmm. Insomnia is probably the least of them. Yeah. Or well, the following is probably the least of them. Following Prestige, yeah. Don't know. Is that why I said all of them? Yeah. Interstellar is about inter- <laughs> Interstellar is about halfway down. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you guys a definitive list now. The Dark Knight. Come on, it's brilliant. I love Batman Begins, but the Dark Knight is so much better. A diamond um, the size of a satsuma. She had a diamond the size of a ruby, of the size of a fist. She was only seventy. So okay, the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. Then the the Prestige. There's the Prestige. Followed by follow. Shut up. Followed by Batman Begins. Why's John Major in the room? <laughs> That's like your Gillian Murphy. <laughs> What's happening? Batman Begins is followed by Inception, which is followed by The Dark Knight Rises, which is followed by <laughs> Interstellar, which is followed by Insomnia, and then following Memento. I don't like Memento. You don't, what? I don't, you like, don't Memento. like Memento. Bats. Bats. I don't like Memento. You don't like Memento. Don't like Why Memento? do you not like Memento? I didn't like it. Controversial. It was backwards. Memento. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes, weird. it was. Memento, I think, is my number three. Wow. It's a good film. What really I say I don't film. like Memento. It's Joey Pants. It's probably his, his seventh on the list. Memento, and then Insomnia, and then the following for me. Now I've broken the internet like Kim Kardashian's bottom. Mm. Uh, if you want to have your question read out on the Emperor podcast, then you can email it to us. You're right, Phil. You're looking at me as if I've gone <laughs> mad. You can email it to us, podcast at empireonline.com. You can Twitter it to us uh, on the Twits machines. We are at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast. And you can Facebook us, where we are, of course, Empire Magazine. Time now for our first interview, and it's with two of our people of the year. No, not Phil and Nick DeSemlian. It's no. Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who've put most directors to shame this year, while other directors, of course, cultivate Kubrickian gaps in their CVs. Lord and Miller directed two films this year. Uh, and what's more, they were two of the year's best, and certainly the funniest, in the Lego movie and 22 Jump Street. They were in London this week to boost the former's BAFTA chances. Sadly, I don't think 22 Jump Street has... Much chance of winning the BAFTA. It really should, though. It really should. Ali Plum and I jump-streeted at the chance <sighs> to talk to them. The first voice you will hear in this interview is Phil Lord. He's the one singing nasally. It was that kind of interview. Enjoy. Would you like a little test? Hello. Yeah. I'm going to take, uh, I'll take the... Take soprano? I don't know. I'm trying to think about it. I don't Ba-doom, ba-doom. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, the nasal. What's the part of the, the part of the song that's nasal and kind of stuffed up sounding? <laughs> I can do that. All of it. You know how that's an me, important me, me, me. sound. Yeah, like in a in a beautiful choir, there's that yeah. one section that just goes <laughs> in the middle. Yeah, feedback. What is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the technical term? <laughs> like in the Hallelujah chorus, there's the. <laughs> I don't know what. Uh... That's I don't know. I'm a student of uh, of voice recording. I'm I'm gonna edit this. Okay, so. good. Yeah, 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 I would hope so. yeah, that's definitely open with that. That's yeah. gonna people are gonna definitely 
stay you just drop it in all the way on through this channel yeah. Yeah. I'll, just, I'll just mix in the mm-hmm. 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 yeah <laughs> we put it in the background yeah shall, I, shall you do a big intro yeah. Yeah. let's do it yeah. 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 just get, go for get, it get the yeah. give you guys goes. a big intro okay let's hear it <laughs> okay uh, we're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Phil Lord and Chris Miller directors of two of our favourite films this year I don't know if you're aware of it guys but you directed two films this year <laughs> what happened a foolish uh, move that's, that's a, bit, a bit insane can you pick your favourite between a Lego movie and 22 Jump Street it's like Sophie's choice there really that's important. What, it's my, impor- what think, child yeah, do you love the best? It's very healthy for parents to choose one child <laughs> and invest a lot in that one. We're sort of hedging our bets. It's impossible to pick a favorite. Yeah. When you impossible. get noticed by your fans on the street, I'm sure this happens <laughs> all like the oh, time. all the time. <laughs> you know how the... We got recognized once in, airport, in our whole yeah. career in an airport. By your mum. And yes, by exactly my mother my mom, yeah. and by, by two folks and they were like Chris and Phil and we turned and it was of course two people coming back from Comic Con with like <laughs> one was wearing like an Iron Man shirt and the other one was like had a Dexter's Lab shirt and I'm like oh right these are our people <laughs> welcome home yeah <laughs> but do you when you when you speak to journalists and yes. fellow fans like ourselves do you find that there are particular jokes that people come up to you and, and ask you about because people <laughs> get pretty excited when I'm some of my friends <laughs> when I talk about both of those movies people often will sing everything is awesome to mm. us and, and we have to apologize <laughs> to them for sticking that on the world that's probably the most common you thing you should never yeah. apologize for that song that's we right you shouldn't you shouldn't. Embrace it. That yeah. could be an Oscar-nominated song, which would be like, the best thing in the whole world. Huge prank on... Yeah. Can you imagine that being performed that, at the Oscars? That would be a real dream It would be a great pleasure. If it is performed, It. I, I insist that Batman gets to rap in the middle of it. <laughs> Will Arnett in the costume, though, right? Oh, for Will sure. Will Arnett in the Batman costume. I'm just pitching this out. We should call Neil Patrick Harris and just just tell him like, hey, yeah. we've got some good ideas for you. Because never mind killing your babies in terms yes. of picking one between Twenty Jump Street and the Lego Movie. What if yes. Everything Is Awesome and Untitled Self Portrait both got nominated <laughs> oh my for best song? The like, oh my god! What would, do you do? Uh, really? What do you do? Which do you? Yeah. Well, obviously the votes would cancel each other out, <laughs> right? Causing like a victory for <laughs> Lord. Yeah. <laughs> What was the phone call like when you told, I guess it was phone call, maybe you wanted to do it person to person, uh, <laughs> when you told Will Arnett that he's going to get his own Batman movie? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, we sat him down yeah. and we said, Will, I think you need to come into the office. There's something Chris and I need to talk to you about in person. It can't be on the phone. <laughs> in truth, I emailed him. That was how I said yeah. <laughs> We did either. Hey, hey. Uh, would you be cool if we made a whole movie based on your one character? And he was like, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but whatever that looks like in an email, yeah. which I guess is bold italics. Emoticons, Absolutely. maybe? Oh, yeah. for sure. It was is very a, emoticon <laughs> filled. Is there a Batarang emoticon? I, I would imagine. They have an emoticon for just about everything these yeah. days. It's just a frowny face after everything. I feel like there's an opportunity with that movie to bring back the 70s, the 70s, the 60s camp of the original. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. Rest assured, every era of Batman filmmaking (laughs) will be acknowledged. And fully (laughs) represented. Yeah. It is such a wide... There's been so many interpretations of Batman, and there's so much to play with there. There have been 40 versions of his origin story... Alone. Yeah. yeah. Um, Adam West was the last happy Batman. That's true. Every other one <laughs> Everyone else is so emo and depressed. So Adam hard. West seems so excited. So hard to be so, so handsome psyched. and wealthy. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But he did it like like um like James Bond kind of. Yeah. 
like Roger was, Moore. I was just like, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. He was the last Batman who didn't really keep up in the gym. He right, was, no, you know, he, he just had oh, yeah. like, go a little He's bit. Like, I'm, well, a, I'm really more of a detective, you know. I'm like finding some clues. I think that's more I've authentic got a to belt. a rich playboy, <laughs> wouldn't you say? Let himself go a little Let bit. Let yourself go. Yeah, add a, like 20 extra pounds. Like the ladies aren't going to really care. This you is, go to a lot of nice restaurants. Mm-hmm. It's hard to keep your it's figure true. when <laughs> you're so wealthy <laughs> and successful. I, I have mean, that problem. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Yeah. It is so hard. Mm. Do you guys, I mean, I guess the Lego movie spin-offs and sequels mm. that are being announced, do you look at that as a chance to build, in a way, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, <laughs> the Lego movie Cinematic sure. Universe? Will everything feed into everything else? And will you be taking that as a chance to take the Michael, I guess, out of the shared universes that we have these days? <laughs> oh, yeah. Take the Michael out mm. of it. Yeah. That's I like, like it. A, is that a... That's a broadcast standards qualifying way to say <laughs> another phrase. Is that what I, that I is? I could have said take the piss. I don't know yes. why I didn't say take yeah, the piss. Yeah, but I've never heard that why. one. Yeah. So does that, well, I don't know a lot about language. Does that yeah. mean Michael is another way to say piss? Well, no, no, there's, there's take the mickey. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And then sometimes we, we lengthen it. Oh, we is get, it like yeah, a rhyming? Give, oh, yeah. yeah. And oh, yes. then take the mickey, is that rhyming right. slang for something? Let's say yes, shall we? Say yeah, let's say yes. yes. Mickey, okay, sure. mickey, mickey bliss. Yes. Having a piss. That's there you that. go. Oh, maybe yeah. there it is. There Let's it go is. for that. That's sure. I just not? made yeah. it up, but it sounds Taking cool. Taking the... I believe it. I'm totally naive American. <laughs> I'm just here. off for a Mickey Bliss, yeah. guys. Sure. Yeah. Let's go get a Mickey Bliss after this. What do you think? <laughs> Let's go. Um, absolutely. Cool. <laughs> what did I just agree to? <laughs> um, I think urinating together. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's going to be. That's what's just it. happened. Don't cross four, the streams. Four, four way. Uh, you know, the thing about these movies is is that, you know, each of them has their own tone and their own voice and, you know, the, we're doing this Ninjago one with Charlie Bean and Chris McKay's working on the Batman one, and you know, and each one of them feels like its own movie. But obviously, they all exist in the universe that the Lego Movie existed in, and so uh, finding that balance has been has been part of part of the trick. But uh, I think Lego we kind of started with the Avengers, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right, and now we're going to spin off and explore the different worlds and then come back. Yeah, and how involved are you in the uh, in the oversight of all that? The, the surprisingly room? very involved. We just you know we've uh, put together this new uh, uh, place in in Hollywood where all the movies are being made together, and everyone's helping everybody out. Um, I wouldn't call it oversight. I would call it more like suggesting chaos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> making <laughs> suggestions regularly. Yeah, it seems like they're having a, a lot of fun over there. It does seem like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If they're, maybe they're not. But it seems like they're having a lot of fun. There's certainly a lot of creativity going on in that building. And that's really exciting for us. This is, this is Lego uh, HQ. Yes. We call okay. it the uh, Bricksburg Chamber of Commerce. That's what the, <laughs> the office is called. Because we feel like creativity thrives under kind of officious sounding. A red yeah. tape. Red yeah. Tape. A lot of red like tape. Bureaucracies. <laughs> so we wanted to kind of create a bureaucracy for for the films to live under. Speaking of spin-offs, will there ever be, just for me, if yes. you wouldn't mind, a, a Captain Dixon spin-off? <laughs> could, could we possibly have an origin story? Oh, yes. oh my like God, a, what like a great idea. Like a 70s exploitation film? We haven't talked about the Jump Street <laughs> cinematic universe don't, yet. Don't, Absolutely. Don't even tease me. I know, that would be amazing. The uh, JSCU. Uh, oh, my yeah. God. Like Copyright 2014. Chris remake, like a Blaxploitation film. I love it. Oh, he would go crazy. <laughs> He would, he would love, love it. that. He would love it. Oh a modern-day exploitation <laughs> film starring Ice Cube, yeah. co-written by Ice Cube, <laughs> and directed by whoever Ice Cube says. 
Would I ask you to play all the roles? Like Andy uh, Serkis? He would play all would the be, roles yeah. like yeah. Orbit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very Eddie Murphy, <laughs> Eddie Murphy style. <laughs> that would be amazing. Because yeah. obviously you guys at the end of uh, the Jump Street credits did set yourself <laughs> set up the next 20 sequels roughly yes, it's more of a, of a suggested pitches than a <laughs> than a, a a scorched earth type of situation or maybe mm. both <laughs> i just felt like the movies you do and we've talked about this before but it seems like you like painting yourself into a corner and then having an amazing elaborate backflip out of it <laughs> that, hey we're gonna do a movie about lego and shazam challenge accepted <laughs> that's our, one of these days we should motto. just start with the backflip exactly <laughs> you know yeah. but yeah or start I, with something that seems like a good idea i guess if you at, started at the with the ba- if you started there you would just do a regular flip yeah it's the corner that requires the backflip. Well put. Yeah. That's her. That was a, I tried to extend life. that metaphor, yeah. Just I'm trying <laughs> to paint a picture for the listening audience, you know. I'm trying to get really vibrant. Right. It's very much appreciated. Yeah. I'm picturing them both wearing capes as they do this backflip. Yeah. Is, yeah. is that wrong? Like, or should I be? Well, we, we, sh- we did bring our own capes we for did. this. We did. And it must cold. be hard to record our voices uh, with us both being seven feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for these microphones yeah. to reach. Yeah. <laughs> Cables are not long enough. Yeah. No, but the reaction now that, the, again, the dust is settled to that, the joke, the credits joke, mm-hmm. was like that people may not have seen the film, but people were telling them, you need to see this film for the credits. Simply, I which know. is always a good sign. How does that make you feel? It's like, you know, what's the best part is when it's over. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> There's an amazing, amazing Benny Hill joke. Yes. And then the credits. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. That's basically the two highlights. Hey, yeah. you got to leave them laughing, right? <laughs> it's better to end with something great than like if yeah. we started with credits... <laughs> And then the movie just went downhill from there. It <laughs> would yeah. have been terrible. It's true. I mean, that came together very, very late in the process. You know, we had originally this joke that they said, well, you ready? What do you do for the next mission? And they said, we're never doing this again and walked away into the mm-hmm. sunset. Mm-hmm. And then we were doing going to do a, sort of uh, the next movie with two different actors as a joke. But we tested it and the audiences were so sad that the characters oh, no. didn't want to do it. <laughs> And so he said, oh, you want, to, you want to see those guys doing it? Oh, we'll give you those guys doing it. And we called them and said, hey, we want to shoot something. Um, are you they free next them, week? The audience wanted them to live happily ever after. Right. Yeah, because it's a romantic now, comedy. Romance, yeah. It's a romantic comedy. So this was our, our way of saying, saying that. Yeah, they don't worry. They're, they'll stay together forever. Yeah. Even in the <laughs> outer space. But, I mean, on, on a serious note, again, I'm a big yeah. fan. How likely are we to get another, in whatever form, story with those guys? Um, it's quite possible we're developing something that uh, Rodney Rothman, who w- was one of the writers on the last movie, is is writing a script for, and it is a, it is yet crazier, completely different. Who knows if it'll all come together or how it'll come together? It's, um, is it in the Lego universe? It, it's all it's, set in the Lego yes, universe. You know, uh, it's almost it's a as fully crazy animated. As a, it's, it's, it's as it's as crazy of an idea it's as a that. Stop motion, yeah. animated, <laughs> full of swear words. Yeah, like a movie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we we we're going another way. We're trying to get the smallest possible audience. <laughs> for the third film. See, so pain. it's going to be a stop motion, black and white. So that one time G-rated. people recognize the, the one time people recognized you, you hated that. You don't want that to ever happen again. So you want to make the smallest possible audience film. Yes. So it never happens. Yes. Yeah. This is all to launch our independent <laughs> filmmaking career. Right. When I first spoke to you guys. Mm-hmm. The Comic Con before last. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I know, right? I asked you whether we'd possibly get some Technic cameo or maybe some Duplo oh, yeah. oh, cameo. Yes. And you both went, oh, oh, 
Um, I can't tell you. Mm, mm. <laughs> then he started singing. But yeah, it was... Then I started singing with my nose. Yeah, it was pretty great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, we got a bit of Duplo right at the very end. It's true. Can we get some more Technic maybe in Batman? In Batman specifically, this is a, this is a it feels request. It might happen. It might technic, happen. Yeah. I can't That's promise. True. There were definitely Technic parts and pieces uh, in, in the movie, not especially featured, but uh, there was definitely Technic. In, in Lego 2, I think you'll... You'll be a lot. The oh, technic yeah, super. will be will be. Oh, there's satisfied. a there's a there's a decent bit of technic in in Lego too. It's true. So hold on. I don't know about Batman yet, but uh, but yeah, and there but there also is Duplo in Lego too as well. Doesn't Technic have those weird, very tall figures? Like those like racing looking guys? Yeah, yeah, almost yeah. Playmobil, but not really. Yeah. yeah, they're cool looking. They look like more like a like. Four inch tall, like Star Wars mm-hmm. figures. I'm not promising those. You have started something though, because there is a Playmobil movie happening. I heard that. Oh, for I real? Yes. Yeah, this is news, news to me. I'm finding out this news. Yes, it was what? Uh, announced yesterday. Which is crazy. I hope it's just a, like a slightly taller version of the Lego movie. Just shot, so, shot. Yeah, shot for shot. <laughs> yeah. Everything's a little taller. Suddenly, it's not yes. in uh, two, three, five. They had to do it. 185. Yeah, 185 to accommodate the extra height. So uh, we talked about how you guys like to paint yourselves into corner and then backflip back out again. Uh, We're uh, very athletic. That's another thing that's important for the listening audience. (laughs) Extremely well-developed quadricep muscles. (laughs) We had to bring in extra big armchairs. Yeah, Yeah, we just didn't fit in them. Very muscular. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, one one corner you chose not to backflip out of was uh, Ghostbusters 3. Now, did that ever come close? Was that ever a real decision for you guys to make, to to take or not to take that film? I think it was... um, uh, broadly exaggerated <laughs> in the in the media. Um, I think you know we had uh, very very loose discussions because we are at you know we do a lot of work with Sony and uh, we are friends of the court there, so that was a big priority for them. And they talked to a lot of different people about that. And ultimately, Paul Feig came up with the idea that kind of broke it open. I don't think, which we certainly <laughs> didn't have. <laughs> but I think that's going to be a great movie, and we're really excited as fans of the franchise, mm-hmm. you know, to, to have them start it up again. And they've pulled the Ecto-1 out of storage and put it on the lot <laughs> so you can walk past it now, and, wow. and uh, it's going to be really cool. That's pretty cool. But but uh, I guess at the same time, are you guys wary of being pigeonholed as those guys? The crazy the adaptation dudes. Oh, yeah. you know, well, yeah. I do think that it gets a lot of people saying like, "Oh, I, these guys take bad ideas for movies and make them uh, into movies." So, hey, we've got a bad idea for a movie. Let's pitch it to them. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll better tear out this page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, never mind. Mm. Podcast a movie would be sure. We should do an adaptation like, right now. It does feel like we're just always trying to take a dare of like, can you make this into a movie? Yeah, those Coca-Cola um, polar bears, they're yeah. really interesting. <laughs> no one's told their story yet. The holidays are coming. The There's holidays the are coming. Yeah, it's right. like Santa Claus, they find, they one of their kind attacks Santa Claus and, and scalps him and, and eats his face <laughs> off. And then they realize they've got to do something. To save Christmas. Mm-hmm. So one of them pretends to be Santa. So one of them yeah. wears Santa Claus's skin and goes around and visits children. <laughs> for the whole family. Yeah. Santa Claus. Santa Claus oh. with bear claws. Guys. 
dude, we just made some money. <laughs> That's good. That's um, how much money did we make? God, I love making money. We're going to get so rich it's off so that fun. idea. Oh, it's a $5 million dollar podcast. Yeah. Oh my God. Great being handsome, tall, muscular. And it really guys. is. And having great ideas and yeah. huge, mungus no brains. flaws whatsoever. <laughs> Large brains. <laughs> like mega mind, kind of. Yeah. This is a, another wide question, but mm-hmm. some movies have come out this year that haven't been yours. I know mm-hmm. you did too, but of the ones that you didn't do, yeah. yes. what have been your favorite? Oh, oh goodness. So many. And there's so many things we haven't seen because we've been really busy. And we missed a whole bunch of them because we were busy making two movies at once, which I don't recommend if you want to have <laughs> any personal life whatsoever. Right. Or find out what's yeah. happening or in the sleep. rest of cinema <laughs> at the same um, time. There's so many. Uh, what's your favorite so far? I gosh. think mine is still Whiplash, but I have to cave- caveat that by saying I've, there's a million things I haven't seen. It's true. I mean, gosh, there's a lot of movies I really It's like. award season, after all. Who gets the Chris Miller Award? Boy, man. <laughs> it's so it's very hard to pick. I mean, there's, like, as far as, like, big tentpole type of movies, I yeah. really like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. I really liked Edge of Tomorrow, which was... That sort of, movie yeah, is was uh, yeah. underperformed, yeah. but it was Un- awesome. Yeah. It was really fun. It's uh, Tom Cruise's best... That gets best Tom Cruise performance <laughs> of uh, this uh, century. Yeah, I mean, and this then, millennium. Yeah, high praise, <laughs> high praise indeed. Uh, yeah. You know, I thought Boyhood was really it like extended beyond the gimmick of what it was into something really, really interesting. I'm just I just I've got so many I can't I can't pick. Come on, yeah. Oh, except Lance is a toss yes. between your two and Phil's got. Oh man, yeah. Who's your which is your favorite? Yet, but you were which is your favorite? Uh, uh, Tilda Swinton. Oh um, man, uh, heavy makeup performance of the. Year. Uh, so that's between Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, Only Lovers Left Alive, and Snowpiercer. Yeah, those are our Tilda Swinton. I'm sure she did other roles <laughs> that I didn't recognize her in because she, was, she was in so, so much makeup. Much. She was Tom Cruise in Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is that right? Yeah. That was her. She's incredible. Well, she did a great no job as so Tom good. Cruise. This is actually pretty embarrassing, but you do know she's in the Lego Movie. <laughs> She is. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. You know the guy at the end who's the, the, the dad? She's yes. the dad. She's she plays Will Ferrell. <laughs> I get it now. It all makes so much more sense. S- star making turn. <laughs> I by think. Uh, I think Grand Budapest Hotel. I really liked it. Her, she was great as a super old lady in that. Um, so oh, she so is such a sexy vampire, See, though. There's another great movie in the works. Yeah. Super old lady. Super old lady. Super old lady is oh, a, one of it's a, actually that's an obscure Marvel title yeah. that Disney is going to be adapting yeah. next year. The wealthy dowager. Yeah. Uh, wait, super old lady colon the wealthy, the wealthy dowager. Excited. You know how to title movies for the for the family marketplace. That's yeah, I, right. If I have one skill, it's it's selling movies about old ladies. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well, I mean. Uh, Maggie Smith Again, we're making money. Down mm. Abbey. There's a great, sure. wealthy dowager how about, old lady. How about that? Uh, that best exotic marigold hotel. Yeah. Or its sequel, the second the best, best exotic yeah, yeah. marigold. I mean that. Yeah. They're, they're really selling themselves. Old short ladies are making money. <laughs> That's, That's right. what it's all about. Old ladies. The film business. <laughs> Make, making that money. I mean, on that wonderful note. It's all about making the money. That's yeah. right. Yeah. For, yeah. You know, for us, it's really not about the quality of the work no. or the passion for nope. making. It's really we, all about... We're all here. We should also say for our listening audience, we're sitting on huge gold <laughs> stacks, of, stacks of, of gold of, coins right it's now. It's a bit like Smaug's bedroom in here. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is, it is. And we're wearing Scrooge McDuck outfits. <laughs> We've been talking for 22 minutes. How much money yes. have you both made in that time? Oh, my goodness. Well, anytime you say the number 22, <laughs> we, have, we, we make a dollar and a half. Which is equal to it's a weird residual uh, deal that we we got. 
But yeah. thank you for that. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> it's just time. Don't don't make it think time. I mean, you know how much money there is in podcasting, so we're just happy to spread it around. Yes. Yes. Oh my we gosh. make twenty two percent of this podcast. <laughs> I will give that to you as soon as this is over. Oh yeah, I, I bet. You. I certain. I bet you will. <laughs> if I know my maths. Anyway, thank you so much. Thank uh, you guys. Oh, this was really pleasure. fun. It was a real pleasure. And until uh, I guess twenty three, twenty four, twenty five, or whatever, <laughs> Jump Street, or Super Old Lady, or, or Super, Super Old Lady. Lady. Yeah. For Santa Claus. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> guys. Thanks right. so much. Cheers. Those guys are awesome. And I wish, no offense to any of you guys, but I wish I didn't know you and I just knew them instead. <laughs> to be honest, Chris, we all feel the same way. Yeah. About you. No offense. No offense. <laughs> no, no offense, but you're all terrible people. <laughs> no offense, but they're better than you are. I mean, that's not even controversial. They just yeah. are. Well, that's. That's debatable, isn't it's it? It's not really debatable. It, okay, rank... I think the rank, box office speaks for itself. Okay, well, while we're ranking things this episode, rank yeah. me and uh, Lord Miller. Okay, so there's <laughs> there's Phil Lord and Chris Miller, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Then there's a lot of people. Daylight. Uh-huh. Right? A yeah. lot of, like... Yeah, daylight's coming through, like, in every direction. Uh-huh. And then and uh-huh. then there's some people that I went to school with who I find a bit unpleasant. Uh-huh. And then there's some more daylight, and then there's you. I'm going to rank everyone the same. <laughs> Do you know why? Because everyone is awesome. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> that turned around fast. Yes, yeah, right. that escalated quickly. Time for, for some movie news. What do we have this week? What's been happening? We, we talked about the, the Creed spin-off. That's, that's been confirmed, hasn't it? That's going to happen. That's starting in January. Mm. Yes, it is. Mm. Um, with, of course, Michael B. Jordan starring as uh, Apollo Creed's grandson. That's exciting. So I'm, I'm genuinely excited about that film. Yeah. Stallone is back as Rocky Balboa. He's going to be training the son, uh, sorry, the grandson, grandson, yeah. the grandson of Apollo Creed. Sounds a bit like the Beverly Hills Cop spin-off they were talking about. No, I think it'll be a very yeah. different thing to that. Yeah. I never saw the light of day, that. What's which is on? so weird, because it was produced uh, by Sean Ryan, who did The Unit and The, mm. and the Shield and whatnot. And it's mm. just, it's like, okay, that's a bit weird. Why not? There's a lot of love out there for the Creed, though. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be very excited about the film. And the fact it's from the guys who did Fruitvale Station, Michael B. Jordan and Ryan Coogler, yes, please, I want to see that film. Yes, indeed. I've got some news. Well, I was hoping to bring part three of my Jobs trilogy to, uh, to the podcast, but there's literally no news on that. Um, and I'm not even going to make something up. We'll just have to wait uh, to see what is happening cast-wise. But Stallone I do... has ruled himself out, of course, by doing Creed in January, which means he can't, he can't be Steve Jobs. <laughs> Damn. We've learned about iPod. There's new iPod now, is that Jose Mourinho? Is <laughs> the second choice. <laughs> Michelle, Michelle McLaren. We've been talking about the possibility of a woman directing mm-hmm. the Wonder Woman movie and uh, it looks like that might be coming to pass with Michelle McLaren uh, yeah. and I've got five facts about Michelle McLaren who's currently in talks to take the role uh, number one she's Canadian number two she directed the Vince Gilligan scripted episode of the X-Files John Doe ah. something that Nick could probably recite literally sort of word by word she went on to direct 11 episodes of Breaking Bad mm-hmm. including Magical uh, which I think is episode two of the final season. Mm. So look out for a skinny Pete and Badger cameo in Wonder Woman. Um, also <laughs> went on to do some Walking Dead. And final fact about Michelle is she loves Sergio Leone. So she's all right by me. Well, you by all of us. She directed the uh, the train heist episode of Breaking Bad mm. as well, which is probably the most cinematic episode of that show, which is saying something, of course. Yes. Um, this is Good news. I think so. Yeah, I think so. She's done, uh, also worth mentioning, she's done some Game of Thrones, which yes. may be relevant if they go for the sort of Themyscira, you know, uh, route to Thunder, to Wonder Woman's origins and actually show her there um, because she's got some experience in fantastical worlds. Yeah, and I think 
in the context of Wonder Woman, it sounds like good news. She's very gift- t- talented. Yeah. She's done a lot of great TV on a cinematic scale. And for women directors to get, you know, big blockbuster, we've been talking about it online quite a lot. Um, yeah, It's amen. good to see. So there you go. Has she directed a film before? This is her first film. No, this, this would, this would be, be her first film. This would on. be her first film, yes. Okay. But she has worked for powerful showrunners like Vince Gilligan and Chris Carter, obviously. So she's presumably well-versed in, you know, the... The dynamic of working with a mm. studio. It is um, interesting though the gamble that people are taking these days. A lot of studios are taking gambles on on filmmakers who either started off with indie films, obviously Colin Trevorrow going from the likes of Safety Not Guaranteed straight onto Jurassic World, or Josh Trank going straight from Chronicle to the Fantastic Four, uh, or sometimes they just give people lots of money for the first movie like mm. Rupert Sanders and Snow White and the Huntsman and go here you go here's a big tentpole. And it's interesting. I think if you have a nice, good support group around you, like you might have. At Marvel, and I imagine Warner Brothers are trying to put something in place similarly yeah. for their uh, DC universe. Uh, that that could work, but if you leave someone, I think who's a who's a newbie, a rookie on their own, then that's when problems can arise, like Forty Seven Running, I would say. Yeah, so hopefully that won't happen. But I think that's a, that's a big discussion. That one, yeah. really interesting stuff. Yeah. And, and she's less of a newbie, maybe than yes, than he was. I think absolutely. it's fair to say. And this is this is, I think, probably. Uh, I saw someone else, someone tweet this last night on on Twitter. The first probably the first decision that the Warner Brothers have made with the DC Universe you look at it and you go oh actually that makes sense yeah. okay I can see where they're going with this the, so, this makes a whole world of sense happy days indeed I think. not just because she's a woman but because no. she's done, got some kick-ass work behind her so uh, Quentin Tarantino has announced that he might be retiring after yeah. 10 films what are we up so, to? well this is, the, this is the thing because with Tarantino the maths gets pretty complex mm. now I've I've added it up. He's made six films. Okay. Seven if you count Kill Bill as two. Okay. And half, Grindhouse is half. Sure. Four rooms is a quarter. <laughs> am I making this unnecessarily complicated? No. No, I don't think I'll I go am. with it. I'll go with so it. So I think he's, as I calculate it, he's up to six and three quarters. Right. What? Hang on. No, he's not, because uh, Hateful Eight is his eighth movie. Yeah, okay, well, he hasn't made that yet. No, but he's about to. Okay, right. so that's seven and three quarters. Is that... Seven... Okay, seven and three. Okay, seven and three quarters. So he's I'm got, only counting Death Proof as as uh, Grindhouse as half. Uh, that's probably fair. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, so, so he's going to need to make a sequel to Four Rooms to bring it up to a complete digit. Yeah, <laughs> I think everyone's clamouring for that. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. He's right. seven and three quarters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he has to make a Four Room sequel. That's the big news, because <laughs> otherwise he's not going to get to ten. Um, that's what that's we've extrapolated so that's news. that news okay and my other news is about Fast and Furious Justin Lin is saying that he may be coming back for a multiple picture thing which will finish the Fast and Furious franchise ooh yeah. intriguing because he moved off to do he went off to make Bourne yes and then that seems to have gone on the back burner since Greengrass and Damon came back yeah is that I mean presumably if he's talking about going back for I don't know if that's happening I mean I actually sat on a plane next to him as he was reading the, the script for his Bourne film that was quite exciting I walked past it and said Bourne on it and I was like <gasps> I didn't did, I didn't did, ask to read it did you look over his shoulder and went yeah the entire flight <laughs> this is a good bit <laughs> dialogue basically well, what's Jason Bourne up to Aaron Cross and Aaron Cross goes nobody cares about me yeah oh. and just so, sits down so cries so will they do a trilogy to bring that up to 10 Ooh, well intriguing. when Lucas Black signed on didn't he he's not in Fast and Furious Seven, but he's returning as his character from Tokyo Fast and Furious Drift. Tokyo Drift. Yep. And yeah. I, no, I don't know what his name is in that movie. Um, he's returning. Gil Nitro. Gil Nitro. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yep. Gil Nitro. Uh, he's returning, and he signed on for three films to take it up to ten. 
Uh, but the, the, uh, the list, so these are all going to be shot at the same time if it happens. So they might be shooting a trilogy back to back. We've just made that up, but they say that's happening. Yeah, that's yeah, might as well. The Fellowship of the Rock. <laughs> yes. I haven't got a title for the second one. The two third pecs. one's Return of the Vin. The two pecs. <laughs> two pe- yeah, the two pecs and Return of the Vin. You're welcome, Universal. The two towers, incidentally, is what Vin Diesel calls his testicles. <laughs> If you guys are just going to make up news, can I do my job story? <laughs> you might as well. Go for it. Oh, okay. We're speculating. We're speculating. Yeah, we're speculating. Oh, yeah, fair enough. I have a story, and it revolves around Uncharted. So this is the adaptation of the video game, the sort of Indiana Jonesy video game, but honestly, it's not a rip-off, honest. They've been trying to make this forever. Forever. Uh, at one point, David O. Russell was going to make it. Uh, Mark Wahlberg was going to star for him. I think that was <clears> shortly <throat> after I Heart Huckabees that came up. Um it is now not something either of them are involved with. Apparently, uh, the Drake role, Nathan Drake, the uh, tr- central treasure hunter, uh, the role was offered to Chris Pratt, uh, who would seem an obvious choice after Star-Lord. Uh, too obvious, obviously, because he turned it down. Apparently too close to his Jurassic World character as well. Um, but there is good news. Apparently, Zero Dark Thirties writer Mark Bowl is going to take a crack at the script. And that can only be a good thing. He is a seriously good writer. He's got a real feel for kind of grounded reality in, in his films to date. So, you know, maybe he's going to give this a bit more of a kind of gritty, realistic edge. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of these games. These, mm. these might be my favourite. This might be my favourite game series. That doesn't make any sense to me because these <laughs> games are not grounded and gritty in any no. way. I really don't think that there's a great need to turn these, these games into a film in the way that The Last of Us... I can see working. It's got a really great storyline, interesting characters. I love Uncharted, but my love of Uncharted is not because of the characters and story necessarily. It's because they're so fun. The set pieces are so fun. Uh-huh. And it's very silly and, and moves really fast. But I, I don't... They seem... Hollywood seems determined to turn this into a, a, franch, a film franchise, and I can't quite see why. Well, we do already have Indiana Jones, which does, you know, put that big question mark over it. So maybe and... there's a hole in that, you know, they want to... Maybe. Do some kind of Indiana Jones thing because they're not making those films anymore. I don't know. But I don't it's... know. It's, it's a strange one. I, I mean, Hollywood has yet to make a great video game movie. It's fair to say, I think. You know, they've made just about passable video game movies and that's about as good as we've gotten. There hasn't been a great one yet and we're still sort of waiting and hoping, I guess, that something like Assassin's Creed or The Last of Us or something will finally prove that it can be done. But there's no sign of it so far. Anyway, I mean, yeah. if, if he, he's a smart guy, he's not going to hopefully... He's a, great, he's a great screenwriter. He's hopefully not going to bring just... in a tone that doesn't fit. So maybe he's just going to give it some kind of realistic edge and then, you know, keep the silliness. In any case, it's at least forward motion on a, on a project that many of us had assumed was... Mm. It makes more sense than David O. Russell, who, was pre- <laughs> who wrote the previous draft. Yeah. So there's that. I don't know. David Russell has a sense of playfulness in some of his films, Three Kings, for example, that and mm. I Heart Huckabees that I don't think Mark Bull has. In just judging from his film work, I'm sure he's a laugh riot in real life. These are fairly silly games with the characters quipping, and the, there's definitely a sense, a, a very light tone to it. So it's going to be interesting mm. to see whether that is. Uh... Yeah, and fair play to Chris Pratt, I think, for turning it down. For he doesn't want to get stuck in that same rut of playing the same character over and over again, or yeah. the same type of character over and over. He again. actually would be a good Nathan Drake, so it's yeah. a shame. He would. I mean, the, although I mean, if he's got Guardians of the Galaxy on one hand as Star Lord and Jurassic World on the other hand, he kind of has Han Solo and Indy already taken <laughs> yeah, care of. Yeah, yeah, true. You know, if we're if we're continuing that comparison, so you, you, he's probably right. He doesn't need another similar. Plus, role. at a certain point, these actors, a lot of these actors in Hollywood, the ones who especially get involved in the Marvel and the DC universes, are basically just going to go. Well, guys, I don't have time to do anything well, else. He's already got two franchises, a TV yeah. series. Hmm. Well, it's about it's oh, coming to an end. It's coming to an end. Plus, the Lego movie. 
So three, three, franchises. three franchises already. I'd like to see Mark Bowl do that Triple Frontier thing with Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, what happened to that? I don't Me know. Too. Me I too. mean, that's a that's a drug set on the sort of border, mm. I think, of Colombia and uh, and Peru. And wasn't Tom Hanks attached to that at one point? Wasn't that the one that Tom Hanks was attached to? And Jimmy Renner as well? Yeah. And they I, just kind of... I'd love to see a film set in, uh, following that Tom Clancy movie. Clear and present danger is mm-hmm. it? Set yeah. in the drug cartel country. Yeah. It was a really interesting stories there, and and a world I'm not really familiar with. Like to see that film. Yeah, so it was confirmed this week, wasn't it, Phil? That um, Matt Damon said, "Yes, I'm coming back to Jason Bourne." Uh, Paul Greengrass is coming back to direct, which is all I ever needed to to say <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this. I'm you know, be really intrigued to see where they can take the character, uh, and maybe that'll be a great part for for a good friend, Elrington James. Yeah, you know? but yeah, it's it's, it's it, I think it's very very interesting. But the the, the big news, Hollywood was very kind to us last week when they broke the Toy Story four news and the Star Wars: The Force Awakens on Thursday night, so we had time to discuss it in last week's podcast. And then they went and did what they usually do, which was the news broke that Jared Leto is in mm. negotiations to play the Joker in David Ayer's Suicide Squad, which would be the first post-Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice movie in the DC Universe in 2016. And the story broke last week that he's in negotiations, he's in discussions to maybe play the part that David Ayer, that the, the Joker wasn't initially in the script for Suicide Squad. The Joker will make his big screen debut in our DC Cinematic Universe without Batman. That makes sense to me. Unless there's a scene of, you know, Batman capturing him, bringing him in, and that's when... I want a a movie first. What do you think? Jared Leto, Joker? I mean, he's a a more more likely and more obvious choice than Heath Ledger, and Heath Ledger turned out pretty well, so I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he's, he's, he's actually pretty good at playing the dark side, Jared Leto, and he showed some hella good acting chops in Dallas Buyers Club, so I'm actually... I'm kind of okay with this. It's uh, going to be a real challenge for any actor taking on the yeah. Joker now. Because, oh, no I question. mean, the Jack Nicholson thing, not only was there a long time between those two films, but Jack Nicholson's an older guy. It was such a different, you know, casting a young sure. guy in itself was like completely rebooting the character. And now Jared Leto, about the same age as Heath Ledger was when he, mm. when he did The Dark Knight, it's, that's going to be tough to do something completely... Well, actually, he's separate. about 10 years older than yeah. Heath Ledger was when he did The Dark Knight. He just looks the same age because right. uh, he's freakishly, freakishly well-preserved. How old is Jared Leto? He's, he's in 43 40s, 42 or something. Like yeah. Yeah. Shut the front door. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Wow. Comes with a lot of baggage. He's going to have to answer a lot of Heath Ledger questions. Um, yeah. I would imagine along the way. And I don't know. Good luck to him. And of course, he's not signed on yet. I mean, this is the thing I was just talking about. It, you know, for any actor now taking one of these things on, it's not just one film. He's not. The Joker isn't just going to be in Suicide Squad. He'll pop up in one of the Justice League movies, although he won't be a, you know, mm. a main antagonist, I'd imagine, because he's not powerful enough but and they are talking about a Batman standalone which they yep. haven't dated yet but that is on the cards apparently we're told so. Absolutely. whereas Heath Ledger um, for obvious tragic reasons and Jack Nicholson only got one go round at the Joker whereas this would you know Leto would be looking at this going oh this is a four or five six mm. year commitment for yeah. me Ooh, I'm not sure about it I imagine it's much the same reason that Joaquin Phoenix passed in Doctor Strange it's not just one movie anymore. You're going to be signing away five years of your life. Yeah, it will be. I think it will be a test of whether or not he's a fan, because quite frankly, if he isn't, he's got no compelling reason to, st- to sign up to that. Um, you know, he has a lot going on in his life with his music and so on. At this point, he has an Oscar. I mean, he, he barely acts in terms of, you know, in, in mm. terms of how many films he's made mm. and, and got an Oscar for his trouble because he's very good when he does. So, you know, it, it, it'll 
purely come down to whether or not he fancies it, I think. Um, I will say, though, Margot Robbie was once again named as uh, Harley Quinn Mm -hmm. this week. Again, it's not 100% official confirmation, but Mm -hmm. it looks very much like she's taking that role. And I think that's terrific casting. I think her face, genuinely, is brilliant for that role. Um, And Harley Quinn has become this incredibly popular character. If you ever go to any kind of convention, Comic-Con as we do, and things like that, you will see so many people dressed as Harley Quinn. It's unbelievable. Um, Her influence is huge, and I think she's she's a very, very good choice for that role. Uh, Jared Leto's going to look super in white face makeup as well. I hope it's a a funny Joker again. Heath Ledger, obviously brilliant, but not a funny Joker. Very, very intense, dark. So it'd be nice to have a Joker who's actually, you know, Nicholson was a funny character yeah. to watch, entertaining character. So and I can absolutely I see why bring it back that way. I can absolutely see why David Ayer has asked for the character to be included in Suicide Squad, along with the likes of Lex Luthor and Deadshot. There was talk Jai Courtney's in mm. negotiations with Deadshot, who's a deadly assassin in the DC universe. Because you want your heavy hitters, don't you? You want the big names, and you can just imagine if you get the characterizations right, and you have all this this group of nefarious evildoers, and you drop the Joker, who's the ultimate, you know, wild Psycho. card. Mm just completely nut, loose cannon nutcase just drop them into the middle of any scene and you're just going to have a fun on is your it, hands is it going to be like the 60s Batman film where they're all, all the villains are sharing a bed set mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, love that. I love those scenes it is weird though because you know you're right he's the ultimate nut job and he's completely uncontrollable or he should be and, and so I don't see what handle the government can possibly have on him to make him work for Suicide Squad I know he's occasionally been there in the comics but it, it's a weird one. So I, I'll be interested to see how they make that work. Maybe it'll be almost a proto-Joker in this and, and he'll so, sort of go full-on whack job at the end. I don't know. I but it's an odd one. If they introduce him briefly then in Dawn of Justice, if they'll reshoot something or... Yeah. Who, who knows? Who is knows? This, is this film not set in the Second World War? We don't know that yet. I thought David Ayer said that it was going to be Dirty Dozen style. I think he means in just the, he means the tone in terms of, rather yeah. than yeah. it's not going to be set in the Second World War. That would, not necessarily, that would make, no. That would make no sense. There has been a Suicide Squad in the Second World War, but we don't know that this is that. We know Lex Luthor is in the film, for example. Yeah, we do. Uh, okay, right. That's plenty movie news. Thank you, Hollywood. You've been very, very generous this week. Uh, time now for a second interview. Morton Tilden burst onto the scene with Headhunters in 2011. It was a Norwegian thriller, of course, based on Jo Nesbo's novel, which plunged its hero literally into a world of shit. He's doing it again, metaphorically speaking, this time in The Imitation Game, which tells a fascinating true-life tale of Alan Turing, the genius who fought against incredible odds and turned the tide of World War II. Helen and Ali Plum, spoke to Morton this week. Morton Tilden, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you so much for uh, letting me come. Um, and and congratulations on the intimidation uh, imitation. I keep saying that. Congratulations on the imitation game, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I'm not the only. Am I the only one who does that Im- intimidation? I in uh, that that's that's the first one. Uh, okay. uh, the invitation game. I heard a few times. No, the imitation game. It's based on. Is based on a, a paper that that Alan Turing wrote. He's a fascinating figure and and you know a hero of the war, frankly. But you know it, it was he was only actually sort of pardoned officially on I think it was Christmas Eve, twenty thirteen, mm-hmm. when you must already have been up and running on the film. We actually wrapped. He was pardoned a month after we we wrapped, which is which is, I mean I think it's great that it's he's been pardoned. It mm-hmm. it, make, it puts a focus on his life, and in many way he should be the one that pardons us. Qu- uh, exactly. I I. It's it's uh, it's really hard. I mean, his achievements were so staggering. I mean, he, we all owe him so much. And and then to think about the injustice that he suffered. You know, yeah. he's we've been prosecuted for being a gay man and and sent to chemical castration. I'm just 
you know, it gets shivers just thinking about it. I mean, and it's, it's, it's completely destroyed him. And um, all his achievements, or, or most of his achievements, you know, was kept secret for so long, for so many decades. When you first became part of this project, where was it? It was a script that was sent to me. I mean, I, I, I moved to Hollywood after done Headhunters, which is a action thriller. You know, it's a Cohen-ish, dark uh, action thriller. And, and I read scripts where there were mostly superheroes and, and heist films and action thrillers. And then my agent sent me the script and said, it's just such a beautiful script. It's probably not what you're looking for, but just read it. And uh, I read it, and I, I always loved history, and I, I always thought I knew much about history, and I was just blown away how much of Alan Turing's life I wasn't aware about. Mm-hmm. So, so I became a little bit obsessed with the whole thing, and uh, I think as a filmmaker, you don't get to pick your project. You fall in love with them. It's, it's certainly you become obsessed with something, and you just have to do it. And uh, I, n- I never really been into period films and uh so so i was like shit i'm gonna do actually a period movie okay so where do i begin uh so it was a little bit like that but it's 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 been such a humbling and it's been so rewarding to be allowed to tell the story of alan turing on the big screen was benedict cumberbatch part of the project when you were on board or was it no he was not and um, so you auditioned him then I didn't have to. I mean, I knew him well uh, as a, as an actor, and I actually thought about him when I read the script. So he was I. He, he was the first actor to come to mind, and I could sort of like see him before me when I been reading it. So, to me, I sort of like made up my mind. Hmm. So I I had this had this, this Skype call with him. Uh, I think it was after Golden Globe or something like that because he was really hangover. <laughs> and I tried to convince him to be part of this and he tried to convince me to be part of it because he read the script and loved it. So, uh, we, no, we, we, we both had, a, you know... <laughs> it went it, well then. <laughs> it went really well. So he, he, he came aboard and, and you know, he, he, he was, as us, you know, he really wanted to... to, to to write on Alan Turing, you know, to, to, to really do justice to this man. And uh, and, and he worked so hard. I mean, to make, to, you know, this, and there's no recording on how Alan Turing walked or talked. You know, you had to sort of like piece him together. And I, I think the whole uh, the whole movie is made up as sort of like a mystery movie. Right? Who is Alan Turing? Uh, it, you know, it's, it's told as a puzzle in a way. Mm-hmm. And, and the answer should be, uh, you know, Alan Turing in the end it's mm-hmm. and, and to, that's how it was for us you know he was a mystery he was a puzzle and we had to sort of like piece him together you said earlier that there was so much to Alan Turing's life that you just weren't aware of because I think people if they know him at all know him as you know the grandfather of modern computing yep. perhaps you know him and Babbage are mentioned in the same sentence often is there anything that you wanted to put in or if you could tell the entire story of, of Turing would you have liked to have mentioned perhaps um, there's several things I mean uh, I there's some there's things that we had, we had in the script for a while. That one of them was that he was sent to New York to lie to the Americans about the Enigma. I think that's a great story. Really? You know, well, what's that story? You know, they they broke him, but they didn't want anybody to know it. So the Americans said, "How are you guys doing? You know, can you come up and and learn, teach us? You know, what what you what you found out?" And so they sent Alan Turing out there to lie and to the to what actually later become the CIA. It wasn't called CIA at that time, but it later became that. The, the, the way he lied was by, you know, by actually comp- explaining some of his theories. And they're so complicated <laughs> that it just goes over your head completely. And, and uh, 
And um, no, it, it, that's really fascinating. And I, and I said, oh, we've got to have it in, but it, we, we didn't find room for it in the story. Mm -hmm. And it, it took away from the, you know, the, the narrative and, 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 and the, uh, you know, it, it, uh, but it, I, I always wish that could, that could be part of it. And also there's, there's so much about, he, he actually was a great philosopher. Um, the Imitation Game is a beautiful paper. It actually deals with what it means to be, what it means to be alive. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be human? Uh, to think. Uh, I mean, there's a little bit in the movie. You know, this one of my favorite lines is, you know, just because somebody thinks differently than you doesn't mean they're not thinking. Uh, and and can why cannot the machine one day think, even if it thinks differently, mm -hmm. and will it then be alive? I mean, he was obsessed with artificial life, artificial intelligence. I mean, he sort of like tried to recreate a soul, yeah. recreate a loss, you know, and it's and it was like his driving force uh, his whole life. So, you know, I, you can almost like make a movie out about that. I feel like there's a horror movie where the bomb comes to life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the way it sounds, the yeah. machine, which is very clickety-clack, mm. it's almost like a steampunk, really. Yeah. What was it like on set shooting that? Was was it making those noises? Was no, it done? No, it's it was production. It's um, to us and to Alan. I mean, the machine was like a living thing, and you know the the all the red cables, like it's the blood veins, and yeah. and it's uh, it is based on how it looks. I mean, the 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 colorful dials and all that. That's that's how it was. I mean, the size of it. That's the correct size. It was huge, so we sort of like just open it up so you can sort of like see the the inside and the pulsing and, and all the blood streaming and, and in many ways so it's a, I was wondering where it is now where, where it's actually it's a, uh, at Bletchley Park oh that that machine we had in the movie is now at Bletchley Park and there's an exhibit which is phenomenal so now there's a, so now there's a yeah so now there's an exhibit at Bletchley Park where the machine we built for the film as well as some other uh, props and, and some of the wardrobe of that Benedict War mm. is is now part of an exhibit, and we did you know we had math experts. We also had someone who expert and explained to us how Ellen Turing's machine worked, mm -hmm. which is really terrifying <laughs> because it takes ten seconds and you understand. I don't even you know, I'm not going to understand anything of this. <laughs> it is so complex. It is so beyond mm. anything we could do. It's it's it was really. I mean, we had a, I mean a lot of the. Um, thing you see in the film like every enigma machine is actual enigma machines from the war wow. it's really relics uh, that the nazi used and we, we tried to have as many real things mm. from the story as possible like and it uh, like the crossword puzzle you see is mm -hmm. the is the crossword puzzle alan turing made oh yeah like, and, he, and he put it in a newspaper yeah. to attract kira knightley and her her type he'd too. used it to recruit people to mi6 yeah crossword puzzle which is just mind-blowing and it's mm -hmm. in itself and we're trying to solve the crossword puzzle and you know we couldn't even do that so <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's uh i think there's there's a big difference between being you know a filmmaker or an actor and being sort of like a math genius yeah. or a puzzle solver yeah um Possibly silly question. Have you seen U571, which was the, the American film about supposedly capturing an Enigma machine? Uh, no, I, I know about it. Okay. Uh, I, I know. They, they didn't capture the Enigma machine. They captured the, the, um, the sheet of paper where all the settings were, mm -hmm. which, is, which is kind of they had The Germans had this every month, they, 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 uh, or every second month, actually. They, they gave up sort of like with 60 days of settings that they, the, the submarines and the ships had. And it was written in an ink that when it got wet, 
the uh, the ink dissolved. Uh. So uh, they always had a but- uh, bucket of water or something like that. So if they were captured, they put the, the papers in it. And it's a true story, which is actually phenomenal, is that they, they got hold of this because when they had to leave the submarine, it was being captured, and, and the German officers ordered them to, to evacuate. The operator had this book of low po- uh, love poems from his wife. Right. And he would become obsessed about saving that. So he forgot to destroy the sheet. <laughs> because so, the love of his wife. Yeah, because the love of his wife. It's part of the story around Bletchley because they used that was, was, was important as part. We didn't have it in our film because it didn't have that tremendous effort. It was more like it's because, you know, then the, the two months went and they lost the sentence again. again. So, yeah. so, so, mm-hmm. so the, the brilliant here was that, you know, because the, the Germans changed settings every 24 hour and it's 159 million, 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 million possibilities, which is like, impo- it's, Enigma is unbreakable. So the, the, uh, it, it, it is, it is unbreakable. The thing that Alan Turing did is that he caught up on the, the human flaw, mm. that there's, there's, there's some words which you can expect to be in the message. And then he created a machine that could find that word in the message, which is the brilliance of it. I've got to ask about a cu- what you're doing next, because you've been linked with a, with a couple of things uh, since uh, Imitation Games started screening. Uh, Chain of Events was one which was said to be a Da Vinci Code and meets World War Z, which is weird. And Pattern Recognition. Yeah, I'm so, well, uh, Chain of Event is based on the Swedish novel. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's about the cryptographer. Ah. So uh, I was <laughs> like, ah, another film with a cover. It's a... It's a uh, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's, it's a phenomenal story, uh, which I've been obsessed with a little bit. Um, it takes place in London. Oh, again. So yeah, again, back to London. Uh, but it's it's a it's 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 a it's a uh, it's it's really it's an, it's more of a actiony story, and okay. it's it's not sci-fi, but it's a it's not sci-fi. It's it's sort of like, um, but it's it's a big concept story. Uh, about what would you do if you knew what's going to happen in the future? Like kind of minority report, but not that sci-fi. Yeah, okay. a little bit, very grounded. So, uh, and it's like, what if you know? What do we do? What do you do if you know? Sort of like a calendar of yourself and your human race in the many way. Right. So it's like a what a psychohistory thing. It's a it's a being it's a uh, I'm, I'm not going to say the word, but it it, okay. it it deals with actually it's a cryptographer that find out that there there's actually a hidden code in our DNA oh. that actually tells the story of what's going to happen in the future. Intriguing. Okay, yeah, I'm interested. <laughs> it's uh it's a it's a really cool action thriller and it's uh and it's uh it's a big it's a big movie that uh, i'm developing for warner so it's, it's it's really great cool and then is that so is that going to be next do you think or does it depend you never i mean you never know what's yeah. going to be next and what's going to happen but uh, it's it's something which i'm getting a uh, mark l smith is writing it uh who just wrote the revenant which is the movie that alejandro is now shooting with leo dicaprio so um he's sending in a new script end of this week wow we're doing a rewrite uh, so we're going to hand it to Warner and then uh, so yeah but it's uh, I'm very excited with that one it's 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 it's, uh, it's a really cool project and then uh, yeah Pattern Recognition uh, is a great novel by William Gibson uh, which again is I, I mean I think you always end up doing more or less yeah <laughs> with the same story. again it's an outsider escape which I think you know Imitation Game is a movie about outsiders yeah. it's about you know different thinking 
people in that celebrates being different. Mm -hmm. And Pater Ignatian is, uh, but it's a female character. And it's, uh, again, it's slightly sci-fi. Okay. But sort of like sci-fi that, I love that is more alternative. It's like it happens today, but it has sci-fi element to it. Okay, yeah. So like alternative things today. Mm. Uh, and, um, and Gibson's kind of interesting because he hasn't, he's, you know, an incredibly um, influential author. Oh, completely. But, but he hasn't really been done properly, certainly. No, it's, 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 um, it is, it is challenging to do his script because there is, there is the, the actual plot is not always the important thing in this, his movies is, you know, there's the ideas the and characters and the feel of it, which is more so, but it's, but, um, yeah, and and I mean he's the man in cyberspace. I mean he's that's comes from his book, yeah. you know. And it's um, and he's always been very accurate about foreseeing things, you know, uh, and and how we deal with. And also he's 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 as he's one of the authors that doesn't say that internet and social media necessarily is sort of like, wow, it's like bad and it's going to turn on us and it's really frightening, you know. He sort of like celebrates it a little bit. Yeah. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking the time. You're welcome. And, My uh, pleasure. And fingers crossed for the movie, which is out obviously on Friday, today. Thank you so much. So let's start with the imitation game now as we dig into this week's big releases. Hell's Bells. Yes. So this is uh, Benedict Cumberbatch playing another antisocial but incredibly gifted individual. Alan Turing is a mathematician uh, called upon by the British government to come and work at Bletchley Park and try to break the essentially unbreakable as Morton Tilden said in that interview uh, it remains an unbreakable code you need some kind of human error to be able to break the Enigma code and he comes up with a way so that that isn't really a spoiler it's pretty much set out at the beginning of the film and also is history and you should know it already Kira Knightley plays one of his colleagues Matthew Good and Alan Leach who you know from, from Downton Abbey formerly of this chair Alan formerly Leach. of this chair yes um, are also in his group of code breakers and they're all under pressure from Charles Dance who's the sort of general in charge of the operation and from Mark's who's the boss of the nascent MI6 uh, who's trying to to kind of oversee everything and make sure it stays super top secret. Now this is all framed by, there's kind of two framing devices. There's the flash forwards or the, the, the framing device of the 1950s where Turing report, reports a break into his house but nothing is taken and this sort of sparks the interest of an investigating policeman who starts to look into his war record, finds, you know, that there's nothing there and starts to believe that Turing may be a spy for the other side. What he uncovers, of course, is the is the fact that Turing was homosexual, which was a criminal offence, unbelievably, at the time. And so, you know, the, the tragic and awful and really unforgivable persecution of this man by the British state was then sort of sparked off from that. So that's one sort of framing device. There are also flashbacks to his childhood, which show, in a slightly on-the-nose manner, some of the, uh, the ways that he became you know, who he became, why he became interested in code in the first place and so on. So it's really kind of a, a gamble, gander through the, the man's life. It is much funnier than you might expect. Uh, Mark Strong in particular, it sort of breaks the tension but doesn't destroy the tension, if you know what I mean. Turing himself is also very funny just from his, you know, complete inability to act like a normal person uh, quite a lot of the time. And uh, and then everyone else sort of carries, I think, a lot of the drama. But, you know, as, as Tilden said there in that interview, I think, you know, giving you those comic moments does actually mean that the emotional bits hit quite hard afterwards so so it's it's actually pretty good going i think it's mostly a conventional biopic with within those framing devices okay. but it's uh, it's very good stuff phil what you you liked this as well didn't you i liked it i didn't like it perhaps as much as some people seem to have done it's a film that we've discussed 
quite a lot at work. Yeah. Around our desks. I wasn't quite as up on it as our review, which is four stars, yeah. has been, or necessarily understanding quite the level of Oscar bars that it's accruing. I think Benedict Cumberbatch is really, really good. I think he's sort of on the spectrum a bit, his character, isn't he? There's a, there's a hint of Asperger's in the way that he can't quite relate to those people around him, which creates lots of interesting friction. Yeah. Because this is a film about interpersonal relationships as much as anything. Um, uh, but I thought some of the dialogue and some of the characterization was a little. I think we make the point in the review actually a little on the nose some of the sequences there's a moment where they break the code where they have to it's like you know with great power comes great responsibility moment where they mm. have to work out how they can use the information without giving away the fact that they have the information to the Germans by you know making it obvious and uh, that involves a convoy upon which one of the team's brother is sailing and some U-boats and you can kind of imagine how that all plays out but it's I just thought that could have been a little bit more subtle the mm. way some of that stuff was conveyed but it's mm. a very complicated story so I can kind of understand the way that it's been framed and, and they get a lot into it um, but yes I would say I enjoyed it a lot perhaps not quite to the same level as, as some others have Okay, dogs Nick this was a uh, blacklist winner a couple of years ago the screenwriter Graham Moore yeah. won the blacklist with this, this script at the time Leonardo DiCaprio was, uh, was attached now uh, kind of find it hard to picture him as Alan Turing but he's Benedict Cumberbatch yeah he's very good Cumberbatch I mean the performance is quite close to Sherlock it's not you know he's the troubled genius who doesn't get on well with others is a bit eccentric so I thought it was a very good performance but perhaps not the astonishing Oscar you know buzzy type thing that some people are saying because it was quite close to what we've seen him do before but no, I, 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 somewhere between Helen and Phil, I, I really um, kind of, I didn't know that wasn't really familiar with the story, so I found it very interesting. But I thought it was quite clunky at places, mm. and uh, they're sort of cutaways to the war that basically look like bits from the World at War documentary. That, yeah, I'd seen all of <laughs> like those a tank in the World at War in Slough. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't blown away by it. I would, I would actually agree that I think some of the Oscar buzz is a little bit OTT. My, my early favourite is probably uh, Eddie Redmayne at the moment for a Theory of Everything. Another maths genius. It's that kind of a year, guys. Harvey Weinstein paid a lot of money for this for this movie. He saw something in it that's very Oscar worthy. Yeah. I don't know quite what that is, but it oh, seems to be fie. But it's one of those films that feels like it's straining for that. But yes. it feels like it's it's you know, the score and everything is I don't think so. Really? Just because of the humour, I think it sort of it doesn't feel quite as worthy as I expected it. I expected it to feel like a, you know, a high fibre meal. Uh, going in, you know, really worthy and, and good for you, but not necessarily enjoyable. Um, but actually, the, you know, there's some really nice bits of bacon in there, if you will. I'm not sure where I'm going what? with this. Let me move on. I'm never coming over for lunch. <laughs> Honestly. Berry and meal, delicious. Yeah, worth pointing out on that, Mark Strong brings a little I, Mark Strong slightly unusual comic relief in some of his, because he's the head of MI... MI they have MI6, yeah. as is, as Secret Intelligence Service, as was, and he turns up and he's very cloak and dagger in every single thing he says. He's like, oh, danger, and espionage, that'll be right up my alley. And you're like, well, obviously, you're running the thing. And then they go and hide behind a curtain, and then they poke his head out. Oh, he did, more he danger. Did, he stole the show. Uh, Good so, old he, he, can, he can be uh, the, uh, the uh, have a song solo movie in the imitation game of us. Oh, I'd like I guess. to see that. Oh, no, be... genuinely, that guy's his character is fascinating, and he should yeah. have his own movie. 
Okay, fantastic. So uh, four stars then for the Imitation Game. If you do want to double bill it with uh, Enigma, the 2002 movie starring Duke Ray Scott and Kate Winslet and the world's slowest car chase, don't. Don't. Um, <laughs> don't do that. Absolutely don't do that. Helen, you have to go, don't you? I do. You have a set visit on a movie that we cannot reveal. No. At this point in time. It's, it's uh, if you think of the most ridiculous title of any movie coming out in the next two years, it's that one. It's that one. We've discussed it many times in the podcast and always in favourable terms. All right, off you go. Delayed. <laughs> bye, bye, Thanks all. Bye. Alone at last, boys. <laughs> that's sinister. <laughs> it sounded a little bit more sinister than I intended. I intended it to be very sinister, so that's good. Uh, back on, the, the next film is The Drop, uh, which stars Tom Hardy, Numi Rapace, and in his last ever role, the late great James Gandolfini. Phil, what can you tell us about this? That's right. Um, well, first of all, the title it's called The Drop because The Drop is uh, a bar, a bar. It keeps moving around. Brooklyn, where all of the dirty money in town goes to be kept in safekeeping overnight. Oh, so the, the the bar is a different bar. It's like it, it's a movable feast. It is a movable feast. Each bar has a little kind of sort of slot in the bar and a safe belief. It's all kind of a complex system. Everybody in the know knows where it is. And uh, the, the, the sort of implication is that one night it's going to be the bar that Tom Hardy's character works in as a barkeep. He works for his his boss is James Gandolfini's character. James Gandolfini playing a little bit to type. Great to see him, obviously, and it's his last role. Disappointing, perhaps, in a way that he wasn't given slightly a slightly more uh, slightly more to do, I suppose. Slightly slightly different kind of role in this one. Um, anyway, so Tom Hardy's character is uh, he's a taciturn, quiet quiet guy um, who doesn't really find it easy to articulate himself, but he has depths that kind of gradually. Um, unpeel themselves during the course of the movie and uh, he falls in with Numi Rapace's character over a dog that he finds in a dustbin outside a house which brings him into conflict with um, Matej Schoenartz her ex-boyfriend mm. so those that's the basic framework of it but within this is this idea that <clears throat> the dirty money by some Eastern European gangsters will be coming to their bar exactly who's involved in trying to rip off who Tom Hardy's character is the heart of the film and he is fantastic in this. He plays this guy who, as I say, is emotional a little, a little bit kind of uh, inarticulate but through his relationship with this little puppy and through his relationship with Numira Pace and to a certain extent his relationship with Gandolfini's character he finds you see the nobility in this guy and you see that there's a lot more to him than meets the eye um, there's some Eastern European gangsters there's dirty money there's all these kind of basic crime tropes which you'd expect from a Dennis Lehane adaptation and uh, it's yeah, what did you think, bro? Yeah, it was. So this is uh, based on a short story by Dennis Lehane, who obviously did Gone Baby Gone, Shutter Island, and it was uh, the short story is set in Boston. They moved it for the film to Brooklyn, so we haven't got to hear Tom Hardy's Boston accent yet. The film was originally called Animal Rescue, which they changed after they finished shooting because they were worried it would sound like Marley and Me. I liked the film without loving it. I was actually on set in Brooklyn, so I got to hang out in that bar and watch um, Tom Hardy pouring pints of Heineken, which was exciting. There was no Gandolfini there, sadly. I, I, I liked it, but it's it's fairly unremarkable, to be honest. It was a bit disappointing. I'm a big fan of Dennis Lehane. It's not up there with, with his other screen adaptations. But very, it's very strong performances. But as you say, everyone is kind of doing things which you've kind of seen them do already. I don't mm. think there's anything earth-shattering, particularly. No. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think maybe, maybe Hardy's probably the one that's pushed first out of his comfort zone but it's interestingly cast because it's a very American milieu I mean we've seen this a thousand times this sort of 70s the verdict is another you know the, the, the kind of the grimy bar where someone goes and props it up and, and, and drama unfolds around that 
setting. Uh, and yet this is populated with, you know, a lot of European actors, really. Tom Hardy, Numi Ma- Rapace, Numi Rapace yeah. Matthias Schoenarts. European all director as well. And Michael a European Rostrum. director. It's interesting, but yeah, you don't really get a strong sense of anything particularly new to this to this kind of world, which mm. is a shame. It's very watchable. It's probably, you know, your ideal plane movie, I would say. I'm not sure. Mm. You know, we gave it three stars recommendation. Um, whether you'd go and see it at the cinema on the big screen or wait wait for a DVD or wait for mm. it on demand, I'm not sure with this one. Um, Tom Hardy's very, very watchable in everything he does. The dog is good. The puppy is adorable. The puppy, it's a pit bull, but it's still very cute. Tom Hardy actually has a tattoo of a rottweiler on his back. So if you ever meet him, I'll show life. you that in real life. He is a dog fanatic. Um, and he has a zillion dogs. Does he? How many dogs were on this film? Was there just one? There was about seven, six or seven. Really? Yeah, because they kept growing, and it has a puppy, so they had to keep changing it. Oh, good point. So, yeah, there we go. What a lovely, lovely puppy. <laughs> I'll give you a stroke. <laughs> no, it's not the time for pedigree jump. <laughs> that comes later. <laughs> uh, three stars three for stars. the drop, which is a recommendation. Uh, okay, and Nick, you're up next with Life Itself, which is a documentary about the late, great film critic Roger Ebert. The great Roger Ebert. And filmmaker, because he um, co-wrote... Beyond um, the Valley of the Dolls. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Yeah. Um, for much... Boobs and <laughs> much boobs, boobs and guns and all yes. kinds of stuff, which you wouldn't really expect from him. If you were going to imagine what Roger Ebert would have would have written, that it's it's quite funny what came out. Anyway, I yeah, I've just I've just written my top twenty list of the year, and this comes quite high up. It I really enjoyed this. I'm a big fan of Roger Ebert. Anyway, but I just really like this, and there's a really lovely circularity in that this film is directed by uh, Steve James, who is do- the documentary maker who made Hoop Dreams. Which mm. Rob, Roger Ebert raved around, raved about when it came out, and gave it this top rating. And so it's really nice that he's now making mm. this film about Roger Ebert. When mm. they started making it, they weren't aware that Roger Ebert had a terminal illness, and that came about during the making of this film. And so this film really had ter- like morphed while they were making it into the last days of Roger Ebert, as well as being a sort of Talking Heads documentary. So you get footage of him in the hospital. You know, with his jaw removed and all kinds of stuff, but he's still upbeat and he's still mm. funny, and you get a really great sense of Ebert's personality and just the 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 optimism and the the upbeatness of this guy, which comes across in his writing. But it's a really, really, really nice documentary. Um, he's got some big names in there. Martin Scorsese is really funny. Were there any filmmakers he didn't get on with? Anyone who you had friction with? Cause I he remember he didn't. Very... Like, uh, he uh, he had a run-in with Vincent Gallo when he criticised the Brown Bunny. Yes, it was one of the worst things I've ever seen of it, you know, and yeah. uh, Vincent Gallo uh, took him to task on it. But frankly, that's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. Vincent Gallo versus Roger Ebert. I'm sure he made enemies. He was yeah. pretty... I actually have a collection of uh, Roger Ebert reviews, which is one-star reviews that he wrote, because he was hysterical when is he it, hated a film. So your he, movie sucks? Just Yeah, your movie sucks. And yeah. he would just go berserk on a film. And so that's worth picking up. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's a really nice film one of my favourite documentaries of the year so uh, I would check that out Indeed uh, four stars for life itself if you're a fan of film and I guess if you're a fan of, of film criticism and Roger Ebert it's um, it's a must see uh, also out this week is Paul Haggis's latest movie Third Person which is a sort of portmanteau romance thing William Neeson Olivia Wilde Mila Kunis uh, good cast, but sadly the film doesn't quite live up to its promise. Uh, two stars for third person. And Nativity 3, Dude, Where's My Donkey, as foretold in the Book of Revelation, has finally dropped into cinemas, and we also gave that one two stars. Martin Freeman was in the first movie. 
then David Tennant was in the second movie. Martin Clunes is the star of the third movie. I'm not saying that in any way to denigrate Martin Clunes. I'm a big fan of Men Behaving Badly and, and certain episodes of Dog Martin. Is the star of part four going to be a rock with a face painted on <laughs> it? may well be. But these movies are huge. The last one made 10 million quid in the UK, apparently. 10 million quid! Which is half Mrs. Brown's boys. Don't get me started. Two stars for Nativity 3, Dude, Where's My Donkey? Um, I don't think any of you are going to willingly go and see it this week. If you're if you're parents, you may be forced by your kids at gunpoint to go along and see this movie. So there you go. Two stars for that. Uh, and that is it for this week's Emperor Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by Chadwick Boseman, star of the James Brown biopic Get On Up. And sadly, that was recorded before he became Marvel's Black Panther. So don't come sniffing around for scoopage on that film. Do come sniffing around because it's a damn good interview. There you go. Uh, we'll also be joined by the directors of the brilliant New Zealand fan-power comedy What We Do in the Shadows, Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement. Yes, that's right. Jermaine from Flight of the Concords. It's business time, ladies. Uh, until then, Helen's already said goodbye. It's goodbye from Nick. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to rewatch Memento because I sense I'm about to get a lot of hate tweets. Uh, Nick, you should probably rewatch Batman Begins. That's 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 do it this weekend. I'll rewatch Memento. You won't rewatch Batman Begins, and we'll be back here next week and, and, and compare the results. It's a plan. It's a bloody good plan. <laughs> <laughs>